Hi, it's Dave. Welcome. Today I'm joined by Emmett Peppers, and we are discussing lots of pertinent topics today. The stock market has been on a very volatile course of late. We're going to be talking about Tesla, the Fed, inflation. We're going to be looking at some other stocks um, like Zoom, perhaps Lemonade. Um, I might bring up Rocket Lab and Roblox as well. But yeah, and Bitcoin, of course, and crypto. But yes. anyways, um, Emmett, welcome back on the show. How, how have you been? Hey Dave, it's been a it's been a while. I love catching up with you, and uh, it's fun chatting on here. I mean, we talk uh, offline occasionally. We certainly text back and forth occasionally, but I would say the majority of our uh, discussions are recorded or, or live on here, which is cool. So like everyone kind of see our relationship mature as time goes on. It's kind of fun doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how's, definitely. How's it going for you? Yeah, it's been a blast um, actually chatting um, and uh, seeing kind of the progression of our thoughts and. Um, our learnings over time. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely fun bringing people along too. Um, yeah. Curious, I'm, I'm actually dying to ask you, like this past week has been brutal for growth stocks. I mean, yeah. and you're, you know, good soil management, you know, your focus is on accelerated opportunities. Yeah. So growth opportunities, yeah. but they've been like really crushed, you know, especially on Friday too, like, you know, just like, yeah. ouch. I mean, what's going on? Um, how are you doing personally? <laughs> It's stressful. Like, you know, uh -huh. uh, having a fund that focuses on the growth stocks can be very stressful. I mean, we're having a great year. I mean, our, our fund is what's called a 506C fund, so we're allowed to market it to the public or talk about the performance publicly. I don't have official numbers like uh, month to date for, for December. It's pretty awful the first week of December, obviously. But as of the end of November, we ended on a pretty good note. I think we were up like 81% uh, on the year. Um, really? 62% wow. net of fees. 62% net of fees. So, because um, we have a performance fee and such. So, yeah. we've done very well this year in the mm -hmm. last several months, but this first week of uh, December, you know, hit us pretty hard. I don't know exactly how much we're, we're down, but uh, it's certainly. Yeah. We're not up 81% uh, anymore, but, uh, you know, yeah. we'll find out. And, you know, our, our administrator does the uh, accounting every month and uh, gives us an update to publish on a couple of uh, websites that we put our performance mm -hmm. up on and such. So, so 81%, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Um, what, what would, I mean, can you say what your top three positions have been during that time that accounts the, the majority of kind of that performance? Yeah, uh, most recently, um, I mean, Tesla obviously is our biggest position by far. We've increased it. Um, we had that huge put trade. Remember that put trade we we mm -hmm. talked about a while back in I think March. We converted like all our Tesla shares from um, just shares around it was around six hundred six hundred dollars a share, and we sold a whole bunch of thousand dollar strike puts. You know, mm -hmm. um, so we sold like two or three puts for every uh, hundred shares of Tesla we had owned. Um, and so we were able to really maximize a, a nice return on that trade. And, um, and then in the summer we, you know, um, increased our position. We took on new investors over time and, and we've done well in some other stuff. So we've increased our positions on Tesla. Um, you know, we've done some shorter term option trades, you know, Matt and I feel like we have sort of an information advantage compared to the average investor, obviously on Tesla, mm -hmm. you know, there's certainly Tesla investors out there that know as much as we do or more. But I would say compared to um, a lot of folks, we feel like we have, you know, an information advantage on Tesla and its short term movements potentially even too. And we'll talk about that in this chat, I'm sure, a lot more. Yeah. But the, the other big uh, thing that vindicated us, I think, is Roblox more recently. We were have we've been very heavy Roblox. That's, I think, our second biggest position along with Rocket Lab. Rocket Lab's done well, was hit hard uh, this past week, obviously. But we're very bullish Rocket Lab long term. 
you know, it's not really a short term uh, pick in our minds. It's more of like a two to five year pick. Um, mm-hmm. We think it could go up, you know, a lot. And Lemonade, you know, we're still we talk publicly about Lemonade. That's another stock that, you know, it's probably our fourth or fifth biggest holding. It's come down obviously a lot, but we still are believers in that. Uh, we can talk about that later, too. But, yeah, mm-hmm. those are some of our our main picks. We have that, you know, it's just Matt and I and we we um it's very concentrated. So we have like four or five names, like the ones I just mentioned that we focused most of our time researching and that makes up, you know, 70 to 80% of our funds AUM. And then there's another 20% that does other things. Like we do some options plays around micro strategy, which is like a proxy for Bitcoin and such. Mm -hmm. And then there's some other, you know, small strategies we do on, uh, you know, take flyers out on, on small cap stocks occasionally on options or, you know, just different, random things that we research a little bit and think is a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. But but that's, you know, in a nutshell, sort of what our fund is is up to. Yeah, yeah, fun. Um, yeah, I'm going to be, it's going to be curious. I'm going to be very curious to see how your end of the year performance is. Your, your first <laughs> year of the fund. We are already calculating our fees. Like at the end of November, we're like, oh, we're licking our chops. Like, oh, if the market just stays flat from here out, you know, we'll have all these fees to do. We're thinking about how we're going to donate to charity because uh-huh. half of it's going to go to charity after expense. Yeah. Some interesting ideas. We'll talk about what we're going to put a video on that soon. But now yeah. it's like, man, we're going to have to reexamine our whole uh, plans for the future if, if the market keeps crashing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, how, I mean, for you personally, like, are you, has your mindset changed um, from like managing your own personal funds to managing other people's money alongside yours? Like, do you have to, do you feel yourself being more responsible, more conservative, yes. like <clears throat> thinking about, you know, others having to focus on like this quarter, this year, more than yeah. just, you know, a couple years down the road? Yeah. I mean, I think, I have to, I feel more responsibility of obviously, um, and I want to research the investment trades more thoroughly before, you know, going heavy on a position, you know, we want to understand it. And so there's more intentionality on the investments we do more anticipation planning. You know, we, we talk, Matt and I talk about it and he's kind of a numbers guy and, um, uh, maybe the three of us should chat one of these days. We'll do like a three-way chat. You can interview us about how we do stuff. I don't know, yeah. but we're a good compliment to each other because he's kind of like go dives into the, into the, into the balance sheet and the, the quantity, you know, more of like the spreadsheet analysis stuff. He's very good at that and putting investment models together. And I'm more of like uh, unorthodox. Like I, you know, I know how to understand that stuff to some degree, and I just prefer to focus on looking at things that I think are interesting ways to look at things, like forest from the trees, you know, or a bird's eye view of things, and putting it together with other, you know, themes that are going on in the environment or whatever. And and so, you know, I'll come up with kind of a crazy idea maybe, and then he'll kind of do some fundamental analysis and. Sometimes we both lock and we're like, oh, that's great. And we come together and we, you know, and other times it just seems like, oh, let's think about it a little longer and decide and think of another idea. So with the fund, there's a lot of um, conviction that comes along with each name we invest in in that process. And in my personal <clears throat> trading account, I have an IRA account that's grown. I've decided to take more liberty and being more aggressive and shoot from the hip and kind of like crazy trades in that, in that IRA account, um, you know, that I wouldn't do in the hedge fund account, you know, ideas that aren't well researched, but sometimes they do well, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, I'm wondering, um, with the markets going on right now, like how do you view things? Um, cause I, oh, okay. Before that, I actually wanted to ask you this question of, 
you know, some sure. funds say like, like a more broad based portfolio funds like ARCs, ARK invest funds or other ETFs, they're having to like pretty much keep their money in like a bunch of names for your fund. Are you able just to pull all in cash or just go? Yeah. Uh, we, completely have full do? we can go to all cash if okay. we want to anytime. Yeah. I mean, right. we have certain strategies we've employed that we think are favorable for when growth got, you know, when it's risk off, you know, and mm-hmm. we haven't, we've done that at times, whether it's investing in like a small cap value name that we like that, you know, we think is undervalued or, you know, we shorted, we've shorted some stocks occasionally, uh, mostly unsuccessfully. Like we tried to short, uh, Rivian once and uh-huh. that, that we, we were like, oh, I can't do that. You know, we, we tried to short some names that we just know, like we tried to buy puts on Nicola way a couple times and failed, you know, time mistimed it a couple. So that's expensive to short some of these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so it's hard, but you know, that's how we hedge really. Instead of go instead of not going long as much as we, as we are, we tend to allocate more, of our funds or our capital to maybe a short positions here and there. So if the whole market's taken, you know, tanking, then Lucid and Rivian would go down with it, for example, or some mm-hmm. Nicola would, you know, the puts would be, you know, more in the money, for example, or we, we published a short position on bloom energy a while back that we, we did pretty well and closed out at the low, um, which was good, but that since came back up a lot after the, after the uh, details of this light, latest government uh, spending plan, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So the market, so how, how are you viewing things? Um, is this kind of down trend in a sense of growth stocks? Is it just temporary? Do you think there's some legitimate, you know, uh, concern going forward as for example, the fed tapering, ending their bond purchases, mm-hmm. um, inflation, you know, yeah. on the horizon, like what, what are your thoughts on the market overall? Yeah. <clears throat> First, I'd like to say, like, I speak with very little confidence on macro markets at this time. Like, I don't know which way things are going to go. Um, it's not like the COVID crash was coming. and I was like, oh, there's a good chance that the market's going to crash. Like, I don't think there's a good chance, like, the market's going to crash. Doesn't mean it won't crash. It could. Um, I also think there's a good chance this could be like another one of those fake outs in the market where the, you know, the growth stocks and macro markets are you know, having a nice five or 10% correction downwards, people start freaking out and then they zip right back up going up to new all time highs again after that. You know, I think in the long term, interest rates can't go up too high. I mean, I, I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident that, you know, interest rates are never going up back up to like four or 5% anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, and then I also feel confident that, uh, there's a lot of money out there to be, or a lot of store of value out there. You know, I think people buy stocks a lot as a store of value and people buy Bitcoin or cryptos as a store of value. Like where are you going to store your value? You know, you have all this cash saved. You don't want to just keep it in a savings account at the bank. If you know, inflation's happening, you know, if you're fe- afraid of inflation or if you're getting no interest on it. Right. So people have all this money and put it in real estate to some degree. Sure. But then you have to figure out where else to store your value. Right. And so maybe, People stored so much value in much more speculative things like stocks and and more recently Bitcoin and other crypto stuff like NFTs or altcoins potentially to some degree. And maybe there's been like a swing back, you know, to say, hey, let's let's put more cash back in the U- in the U.S. dollar and in fiat currencies because of this recent uncertainty with the Fed tapering that came came about. I, I know that you know whenever there's uncertainty. It seems to scare people back into cash, it seems a lot. So maybe that's sort of what's happening, but I'm not sure. I mean, 
the macro economy is so difficult to figure out. And I think I really like Kathy Wood. I like her. She just came out with that um, thing on Friday. I like, mm. you know, she's she's been uh, schooled by Art La or the laugh. The famous uh, economist Laffer came up with the Laffer curve, and he's a brilliant guy. And I love that mindset for macroeconomics um, the most. And I think her analysis uh, I like the most out of most of the macroeconomists that I see comment on things. But what do you think about the economy? I mean, you put out a good yeah. video yesterday. You've studied it probably uh, you know as much or more than I have. What, what I know you've concerned voice concerns about inflation in the past do you think it's real serious or what are, you, yeah. what are your thoughts um so the past like three or four days i've been kind of just watching like 10 hours a day like on 2.75 x speed youtube videos yeah, that's crazy i don't know how you how can you have normal conversations with like your kids or your wife after that right you're probably like you're so slow talk faster yeah it's crazy so yeah 2.75 typically Wow. Um, I'm max at 1.5, 2.0 once in a while. Like if I'm really in like ketosis or something, I can focus maybe, but most of the time 1.5 is like my focus time. Like yeah, the, key, the, the key is it's okay to miss stuff for okay. me. Right. Yeah. Cause there'd be times that, you know, it's just too fast, but yeah. it's okay. Um, okay. but I get like almost three times the amount of videos typically than, you know, I otherwise yeah. would. Yeah. And if, you, if I do like five or 10 hours a day on it, you know, that's like wow. a ton of videos. Absorbing so, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've been, um, uh, trying to get a handle on inflation, you know, the fed, their, their bond purchases, the markets, you know, just what's going on, what's, what's ahead. And, um, yeah, I think like last night it kind of started to click more, you know, I mean, I've always had some theories here and there, but I started to like get a sense of like putting my mind into the mind of the fed. Like I'm starting to understand like, kind yeah. of the, the nuances of their decisions and their challenges ahead. But um, yeah, I think overall, though, I agree with you, long-term long interest rates will pro probably stay low. Um, I don't think they can go too high or they'll try to stop it if, if at all possible. There's just too much chaos, I think, when interest rates go too high. Um, yeah, to service the debt, it's going to be yeah. crazy, you know. Uh, but on the flip side, there is like real inflation, I think. I think... Mm -hmm. The, the camp that said that it's transitory, I think is um, is starting to fade and they're starting to, to, to say, hey, I think this stuff is real. Um, and just like this past week, Powell admitted that, you know, inflation is actually hotter than he, that they, they expected. So they might taper their bond purchases faster. Um, but this, this is actually, you know, I'm kind of getting, I wouldn't say concerned, but I am seeing like, wow, this could cause volatility like, and uncertainty for the next several months out. And basically the, the dilemma is you've got this overheated kind of inflationary environment and the Fed is coming in, they completely misjudged it. So their only kind of you know, um, weapons right now is they're gonna stop the bond purchases, but that might not be enough. So then they have to like, okay. What does that even do like mechanically when they stop the bond purchases? I mean, what, can you, well, what, what do you, like, so, I, like I'm trying to, I, I try to figure that all out, but, and, and I've thought it through, but what, what is it? Let's explain to people. What, what does it do? Yeah. So um, when COVID happened, the Fed basically unleashed a crazy amount of mm -hmm. um, hundreds of billions of dollars of, of liquidity into the market. So they basically bought up any, like any bond or loan or, collateral that was basically in trouble. They just injected money into it. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And they even bought up like bond ETFs, basically anything like that where companies were having kind of a shaky uncertainty, they just shored up all the lending, you know? So basically that's why you didn't see many companies go bankrupt at all during the past mm -hmm. couple of years, because the Fed was backing up everybody and everything by just mm -hmm. injecting, you know, um, just a ton of money. And so what they've been doing is every month since then, they've been basically buying up $120 billion worth of bonds. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a variety of different bonds, but it's basically injecting money into the system. So lending is super easy. And these mm -hmm. companies, no one's going to go bankrupt because they can lend anything as much as they want, right? Mm -hmm. This is the lending market. And so this is the ending. Like the Fed tapering is basically, they're going to, um, lower the bond buying by $15 billion per month. So this month it goes down to 105 billion, next month, 90 billion, et cetera, until the summertime is supposed to stop. Mm -hmm. But they still have on their balance sheet, a ton of bonds that they're, they're keeping still. So mm -hmm. um, Powell just said this past week that they might uh, consider speeding up the taper. So they might even perhaps even double you know, mm -hmm. the, the amount. So, um, so it'll go down, you know, maybe by 20 or 30 billion per month. Um, mm -hmm. and the reason is, is inflation is, is hot. Then why would you like feed the inflation by just mm -hmm. putting in a bunch of unneeded, unnecessary money into the system, you know, yeah. to prop up everything. So yeah. they need to cut that off. Um, but the problem is, is that going to be even enough? right? Mm -hmm. If they cut off the, the bond buying. And if that's not enough, they're going to have to raise interest rates, right? Um, and so, you know, they might raise interest rates two or three times next year. It might even be more if inflation yeah. stays hot. Um, but then if they do too drastic of a move, and they push inflation up, it could really just stall out the economy and yeah. kind of really slow down things over overcorrect. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like this, it's this fine line that Fred, the Fed is like, walking and the big part of they need to fix their mistakes of just yeah. unleashing too much liquidity into the markets. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, that's, you know, I'd like to like walk through like a model with someone like, um, you know, I got to watch some of these videos. I've, I've, I feel like I've understood in the past, but I'm having trouble. Like, all right, if they're going to stop tapering, they're buying what, like what bonds specifically are to stop buying? How does that raise rates on everyone else? Does it mean there's less loans available for small businesses or whoever, or, from banks or, you know, like I think a to, you know, it goes from A to Z, but ultimately it leads to interest rates going up, like you said, and less loans going out. And, um, yeah, it's the, the, in, the intent is to cool off, you know, the, inf you know, inflationary, uh, pressures, I guess. Right. And, um, you know, there's just so many assumptions built into that whole model in my, in my mind, I'd love to have it totally reexamined because, um, you know, macroeconomics is just so complicated. And as the environment around us changes and the rate of change of technology around us is changing, um, some of these things, I, I just feel like all these assumptions need to get kind of reexamined every time. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy. They're tapering and markets panicking. And that's sort of the growth stock risk off trade that went on last week, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the big kind of theme, I think, for the next several months might be actually the Fed's fight against inflation and mm -hmm. it's pulling back of liquidity and whether or not the market or the economy, how much it can handle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this whole risk off theme, um, it, it's obviously going to be in cycles, you know, because mm -hmm. you're not going to have risk off, 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 off. And like, yeah, um, it's good. It's like, yeah. it's like, 
you know, risk off and then a, a rebound. One step and back, two steps forward. Exactly. Kind of and and yeah. it, it messes up people psychologically because they yeah. don't know what's going on, right? It's like, it's like a, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like vertigo, right? It's like, it's you so don't know cloudy. where you are. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to really figure it out. So yeah. Busy and uh, yeah, I mean, in the headlines, just everything's inflation and play, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's in everyone's head right now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, what's happened in the growth stocks is like kind of to be expected. Um, and Bitcoin and crypto, um, a lot of people aren't equating it to mm -hmm. what's happening with the fed, but it feels like, you know, it's correlated in a lot of ways. Like Bitcoin yeah. crypto is a risk is a speculative asset, just like growth companies, I, not yeah. in a negative sense, right? It's speculative yeah. in the sense where all growth companies are based upon the future, right? Um, yeah. Earnings for, for crypto, a lot of it is on based upon the future growth. So in that sense, yeah, um, risk off hurts Bitcoin and crypto. We saw this crazy crash. Did you, did you see that? Uh, yeah, Saturday yeah. night, right? Or Friday, yeah, night, crazy. Or Friday night it was, I forget. Yeah. But yeah, it was down like 20% in the middle of the night. Like I looked and I was like, holy crap, Friday night, mm -hmm. Crypto, everything is down like 15, 20%, like in a few hours. It was insane. It's come yeah. back a little bit, but it's still down, you know, probably like 10% from where it was on Friday trading hours, right? I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So, when I mean, we're talking Sunday night, we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, Monday. But uh, yeah, crypto is not immune to this. I mean, people think Bitcoin's a, um, you know, a hedge against inflation or a hedge against, you know, the Fed doing stuff. No, that's not true. Maybe in the final in the final version of Bitcoin, twenty years from now or whatever, you know, when it's kind of matured and up to where it's going to be mostly matured. But, you know, there's a long, a lot of speculation in Bitcoin and crypto um, between now and then, and speculative assets, and you know, are going to go up and down with the markets, you know, in a very volatile way. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, in a lot of ways, crypto and growth stocks benefited from the Fed unleashing a lot of liquidity. Kind of like mm. I, I kind of look at it as like the it was a free Fed put where mm. it was kind of a at the money put, meaning yeah. that they weren't going to even let it go down at all, right? <laughs> the market, yeah. and therefore you could do a risk on trade. You could just like pile on whatever yeah. can give you the best return. But now yeah. the Fed is they're still doing a free put on the market, but it's not at the money anymore. They're, they're, they're going to, they're moving it down out of the money. Yeah. And, and the herd is starting to get in front of that early and you know, it, that's exactly. what's causing the down movement. I like that way of looking at it. And, uh, another way I was thinking about it is, you know, you store your value in stocks, bonds, Bitcoin. a lot of big popular thing is, you know, crypto and Bitcoin now and growth stocks, you know, and, um, and then you can store some value in cash, you know, fiat, mm -hmm. U.S. dollar, you know, you know, cash is trash. That's kind of what the mindset most recently with inflation and all this money printing. Um, but every once in a while, you know, I feel like cash, you know, the value of cash relative to the growth of crypto stocks is going to zip up 10 or 20 percent real fast, you know. And this is like one of those times where the value of, you know, being long cash last week would have been very beneficial and then you could buy the growth stocks or crypto at a dis much better discount with it now if you wanted to for example versus if you had held that instead for your store of value so yeah. it's, it's like a yeah. diversification mindset that's kind of evolving in my head of like maybe it's a good idea to have a certain amount a more amount of cash you know on hand for these times just to kind of you know I, I try to have some cash some dry powder available but maybe i'm going to be more intent on, on uh, having even more available for these times.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just today I, 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 um, I cashed out a bit of uh, crypto uh, for cash. And uh, yeah, because I feel like, um, um, yeah, it, it just feels like the risk kind of reward like ratio is 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 not as clear you know um going into i think the next several months i mean yeah yeah but i agree with you sometimes just having cash for opportunities when yeah. the fear gets really like extreme like that's yeah. kind of like that's kind of what i i kind of look for like yeah um like i think two things one is I, I like, I want the fundamentals slash like some, the core of whether it's a company or asset, or whatever, to be really strong. So, um, I've been looking at, you know, just different of the hardest hit stocks out there mm. trying to, to come up with some valuation models myself of, you know, what's the strongest ones. And then, um, when you, when you look for, when I look at, when I look at some of the, the, the companies that have compelling kind of valuations and then you add on perhaps like extreme paranoia or fear, just like the market's yeah. like, like, yeah. you know, let's say over three or four days, it just like, it's just like it crashes a second day. It's like it, it does green in the morning, but then goes down, you know, goes down yeah. a little bit. The third day is going down more. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. freaking out. Yeah. Um, but then you have like your, your few, few names that, that you're, you're picking up, you know, uh, yeah. perhaps with some long-term dated, you know, calls or something. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's kind of like, you know, brewing in the back of my head. Um, yeah. I think as, it's a wise yeah. strategy to have cash and have that list, that watch list of like hot stocks that you really like, but you wait for the next crash and just, pick a few of them up then. Yeah. 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 Um, so regarding Tesla, um, I've been thinking Tesla was hit pretty hard, um, on Friday, especially, you know, I think yeah. like all these, what I noticed was a lot of the growth stocks, the, the safer growth stocks, the growth stocks mm -hmm. that hadn't been hit before got hit, uh, big like Shopify and Tesla and a few others. I mean, I'm following CrowdStrike, which is like, um, a security company, but, um, a bunch of these kind of more solid growth stocks are getting hit. And like, I think there's some risk going forward in the next few months, especially if the environment, like we've had a big bull run for quite a long time yeah. and it, it could be, you know, yeah, I don't know if there's some bumpy times, um, there could be some risk for Tesla, but on the flip side, I've been thinking about this, like 2022 is like one of the most exciting years for Tesla that, I can think of, you know, I've been yeah. looking forward for 2022 for a for long time. Yeah. Yeah. For with Austin um, and Berlin and just yeah. the ramp. And I, I don't think people are fully grasping the impact it's going to have on the financials and especially the profits. So yeah. that's kind of like the, the Still counter thing with Tesla to some degree. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, it's worth the, the risk, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to stay invested um, because it's just such a, crucial time, you know, in Tesla's history. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, um, uh, what are your thoughts, uh, with Tesla? Um, but also other companies, are there anything else you're looking for that, that, um, yeah, you have your eye on? Yeah. I mean, personally, you know, most of my personal net worth is in Tesla, you know, the vast majority of it. Um, and then our fund, obviously, like we said, a the, by far the largest position we have highest conviction name is Tesla. So we study it. I study it still so much just like you. Um, and um, I think we're in the same boat. We both believe in Tesla strongly for the next at least 2022, but probably way beyond that, obviously. And um <clears throat> 
I've said many times, I think it's just a matter of time before it becomes the largest company in the world. And I thought like by the end of this decade, like a few years, a couple of years ago, I was interviewed or whatever, a year and a half ago. And I said, by the end of uh, the decade, I think it will be the largest company in the, in the world by market, by uh, revenue and profits and probably much sooner by market cap. But I feel like I have to change that timeline for like 2024 or something like maybe by 2024, it'll be the largest company in the world by market cap and maybe 2025, 2026, by largest company in the world by, by revenues and profits, you know, you know, soon after that. But yeah, it's growing faster than I anticipated with its margins. You know, it's auto gross margins have been just like rampantly off, like super high, like way more than I expected. And, uh, this is with Fremont. I think Shanghai is huge, just like the bell cow for Tesla, you know, and we'll see how Austin and, and Giga Berlin, but if they can like come close to the margins of, of Giga Shanghai in auto auto uh, manufacturing, then, you know, the sky, you know, Tesla's going to go up much faster than, than most people think, I think, in, in terms of getting to the largest company in the world. And, and then you have all the call options of the full self-driving and Tesla bot, which is going to be huge. I can't wait for more details about that, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's evolving quickly to become like this crazy enigma of a company, uh, that's just like, it's not even like, you know, the company of the decade, it's not even just like a generational stock. It's like, the stock of all time, you know, it's going to become <laughs> the stock of all time. Like what's better than test the Tesla story of all time, you know, like GE back in the day is nothing compared to Ford back in the day is nothing compared to Apple back in the day. Th those are all generational stocks. Sure. But Tesla is going to be like the stock of all time. You know, like, <laughs> I think, I think that people are starting to realize that. I mean, not just us Tesla bulls. I think more yeah. people are starting to come around to that possibility. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this twelve nine thing. I mean, this <laughs> this uh, thing next week. I mean, what do you what do you think about this? Do you think there's anything anything to it, Dave? The the thing. Yeah. December ninth, so, Thursday, December 9th? Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's there's really anything to it. But I'm not gonna sell cover calls next week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Does it, like I don't think there's anything to it. Obviously, I mean, yeah. to me, I, I've looked through the 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 hints, whatever. Yeah. Um, here's my theory: when Elon Musk kind of gives a hint for something it's not too cryptic. It's a little bit cryptic, but it's, it's not, not so secretive that it's exactly like that you have to do numerology and, you know, astrology, all this stuff. You know? yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's pretty straightforward for those in the know, but what the, the 12, nine, uh, kind of crowd is, is doing right now, it, it's making it so complex, you yeah. know, that, that to me, that's not Elon's MO, you know, he's yeah. more straightforward. That's my opinion. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think you're probably right, but I do think there's somewhere between like a five and 20% chance, you know, mainly because of the fact that he hasn't been selling discretionary shares the last few weeks, you know, like Gary Black's mm -hmm. been tweeting regularly about, you know, these latest share sales are part of that um, plan that was put in place months ago, but Elon hasn't sold any discretionary shares the last couple of weeks and he wouldn't be allowed to if there was material information coming up soon, such as on December 9th. So you got to wonder, why did Elon stop selling discretionary shares suddenly, you know, maybe around the time the board met to decide on a stock split? You know, I don't know. Um, pure speculation. But I think, you know, there's a chance that there is something material coming out later this week. Um, 
you know, I wouldn't put it, uh, but his hints, maybe they're one of those hints that was like real even, I don't even know, but people could just, like you said, people can find anything in a, tr you know, a massive amount of information. Like maybe the real thing could be like December 11th or December 5th or something, you know, or December 8th or something. But, um, I feel like there could be something interesting, like a stock split would be, uh, I think that would be good. And I think it would allow a lot of, uh, people not in the U S that don't have access to fractional shares or, people less fortunate that don't want to buy a fractional share, but prefer to have at least one or two shares of something um, could afford it then. So there's a lot of benefits to having a, a share price, you know, in the hundred dollar range or below, you know, obviously. So yeah, we'll see, but I, I wouldn't say it's zero. I would say it's more like five to 20% chance. Somewhere yeah. In that yeah. I would, I would agree. I mean, I'm not saying it's zero either. I mean, probably, yeah, 10, 15% chance the stock split maybe, uh, but yeah. I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. Like um, I was DMing with, um, like a former Tesla employee about stock options and um, kind of figuring out, you know, all the details. It's quite interesting. It's um, so Tesla gives employees like a six month, it's a six month window um, mm -hmm. where they need to, in the beginning of the window, they need to basically determine what percent of their salary they're going to uh, put aside to buy a stock during that six month period. Mm -hmm. And they could low, I think they could lower the amount, but they can't go up, they can't raise the amount, the percent. So that the max maximum is 15% of their salary. Um, mm -hmm. Wait, I think that's, wait, is that 15%? Oh, I forget exactly what. It's uh, probably right, that's probably about Yeah, right. don't quote me on this. But yeah. then um, um, they get to purchase um, at the end of, basically at the end of six months, they get to purchase Tesla stock um, at a discount to the lowest price within that uh, six month period. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they could turn around and sell it right away or they could keep it. Right. But the problem is, is if the stock price is too high, let's say it's like a thousand dollars, um, they have to buy whole shares. Mm -hmm. So they, so employees aren't able to get all the Rationals. stock. Yeah. All the stock shares that they want to with yeah. their stock options because the stock price is too high. Therefore, it's actually much better for the employees if the stock price is lower, you know, like a hundred, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. But a thousand, you're having a lot of people not be able to get their full amount, right? And so yeah. for me, that's actually a pretty compelling reason to do a stock split. If sure, I mean, you have like a hundred thousand, you know, Tesla employees. Yeah, you know, most of them, probably a lot of them, are doing stock options, getting a discount, but they can't get their full allotment. Yeah, you know? so. Yeah, um, I think, that's I think a that big, makes sense too. Yeah, yeah, I think Elon wants to everyone to be able to partake in the success of Tesla and keeping the price too high. Like, what if the price suddenly goes to two or three thousand dollars a share? Then it makes it even that much harder, right? I mean, you yeah. know, he can't control the stock price. He knows, you know, but there's only so many opportunities for a split now. It's like the holidays and all that, you know. Like, maybe now's the time. You know, I'm. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, your comment on all-time stock of, or Tesla being perhaps the, the stock of, um, of all, time. all time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. it's interesting because, um, if Tesla would have merged with SpaceX and Neuralink and Boring Company and, you know, all together, yeah. that would have been for sure, like the all-time greatest, all-time greatest yeah. stock. And like, I, I still think like part of me is like, knows that there was, um, it wasn't very realistic because there's such a negative bias against conglomerates, especially mm -hmm. amongst the financial, let's say, uh, institutions and fund managers and those in the finance industry. Like they really look down on, on conglomerates. Like, 
big time. And yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I was like emailing one of the kind of, um, let's say one of the largest uh, institutional shareholder, shareholders, and they were t explaining their reason why they didn't like this holding company idea. And it was really like strong, like, mm. like conglomerates just destroy value. Yeah. And it's like 0% backing this idea. Right. Um, yeah. but on the flip side, I think it's a, it's, um, it's an exception because if there would have been an X holding company, ultimately, I think the value that's created with SpaceX and Neuralink and everything else is so great that I think it's, it's different. It's not an alphabet company, right? We're talking mm. about just historic companies. I think if they were all together for me, I think actually the, like, sure, there would be a short term discount, but over time, the value created by these companies would be so immense. Like, yeah. It would just be, um, I think it would be a great, great, great vehicle, investment vehicle. You don't have to trade in and out of anything. Like you can ha hold this for like generations perhaps. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there could be like, maybe someone puts to, yeah, it'd be great if, um, I guess we have to wait till SpaceX and Neuralink and Boring Company are like available to the public, you know, like, but once they're available to the public, it would be great to have like just an, e an Elon ETF and, you know, that'd be like a synthetic holding company. You just buy that ETF and you can own a piece of all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also if you had SpaceX and Neuralink and Boring Company all under the holding company of X.com, then you'd have to report on all of them publicly. Opens up a lot of scrutiny to all you know, a lot of opens up the books more transparently, which isn't a bad thing, but there are, there are bad things along with being public and That's all true. those companies have to suddenly play by different rules to grow and, and they're not as flexible as they are when they're privately run. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the things you're talking about, like Tesla having great margins, growing faster. I mean, it surprised me in a sense too, where Tesla still isn't doing paid advertising, um, at least in the U S um, and they have all the demand they want and they're raising prices. But part of that, a large part of that is just this whole c combination of pri uh, car prices, you know, skyrocketing. Yeah. Yeah. And so the demand for Tesla cars, you know, just off the roof right now, yeah. um, off the charts. But you have to look, think about it, like what happens if it reverts, you know, back to the mean, but then, the thing is with Tesla in the US, you have the EV tax credit, which is yeah, coming which out. Is, it was so unique because typically what you would have is you have the car prices go up and then later on they revert to the mean and you have a short period where you can charge extra prices and high margin and then it goes back down, right? Yeah. But with the EV tax credit, you have this thing where the, the high car prices are followed up with this EV tax credit, which allows Tesla to even charge higher you know, yeah. than, than before and get better margins. So yeah. it's like such a weird uh, series of events. It's almost like, and the timing too, where it's just like yeah. one after another. It's like, yeah, yeah it's it's it's. Do you almost, think some of their price increases has been in anticipation of the EV tax credit coming online? Or do you think that they haven't really increase the prices yet in response they're going to wait to for the ev tax credit to really pass before they respond with even more price increases yeah I, I think both i think i think a good part of it is they just don't want their waits to be too long like they mm -hmm. don't want to sell out of all 2022 like yeah everywhere right now but yeah. the other part of it is you know yeah because they know once the ev tax credit passes 
then you'll have a flood of orders the next day, you know, yeah, <laughs> everything's yeah. gonna be sold out. So it's like, it makes sense to gradually increase the prices. So yeah, you don't have to do like a, you know, five or 10,000 bump when the EV tax credit passes, you just have to do like maybe a two or $3,000 bump. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely think they're gonna raise prices still with the EV tax credit once it passes. My, the latest is Manchin um, is saying, he doesn't think it's gonna be passed this year. He's thinking maybe wow. it'll be pushed out to January. So wow. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Wow. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that changes fourth quarter deliveries, maybe. Yeah. 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 It actually might be fortunate because people don't have the tax credit. So they're not pushing yeah. off deliveries. They go, okay. Um, yeah. So, hey, a personal question here. So I've got a, a model wide uh, reservation that okay. I haven't you know, done anything with. So Tesla's yeah. been pressuring me saying, hey, you have to do something with it or else, you know, be canceled, <laughs> et cetera. You're so, one of those people clogging up the delivery pipeline with your, your reservation in line there. What's going on? You're not taking delivery? Exactly. So, well, the thing is like, um, uh, first I love my my Model 3. It's just like yeah. such oh, a good is car. great. You got to get the Y, man. You got to get it. And then I have FSD beta right on my 3, oh, which yeah. I won't have on the Y. Um, but I wanted to ask you this. Yeah. So um, I'm toying around with just getting the Model Y as a learning experience. Yeah. Okay, we'll just, and I'll keep my Model 3 as long as, okay. until I can get FSD on the Model Y and then probably get okay. rid of the Model 3. But then I'm also thinking as a learning experience, let's say purely as a Tesla investor, trying to understand Tesla deeper, I could also, I could, rather than the Model Y, I can get the Model S, right? Um, long yeah. range or Plaid, but Plaid, like for me, it's like, I don't want to go, like two seconds, like yeah. for me, like yeah. even three seconds yeah. is like fast. You know, it's yeah, too you fast. don't need the speed. You're not like yeah, a race yeah. driver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not either. Yeah. I didn't need it either. I just wanted to have it first to like try yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I, but I could also go with the Model X too, you know, uh, yeah. the refresh. But well, the Model X, you got to have that reservation down early. Like if you put your reservation down for the S or the X now, you're waiting like two years, I think, or a year at least. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if I feel like you there's ways it around up. it. Yeah, they'll they'll probably contact you earlier at the VIN. But yeah, what do you think? Like purely learning value, Model Y, S or X? Because I mean, yeah. I think X. You got to go X. Really? Yeah, for learning value. Because wow. then you get like, you get the SUV experience, plus you get like, the maximum technology, you know, like cool technology stack mm. within it, you know, like with the, between the doors and all the fancy luxury stuff they're going to put into it. You know, like I think, you know, the X is, is what you got to go for. Yeah. Really? Because I, so. I was thinking the Y because it's the main car they're going to push yeah. in Austin. But and you already Berlin. know it's the main car. I mean, you don't need to reaffirm that it's the main car. Right? I mean, you want to like just understand like, Mm -hmm. how special Tesla's products can really be. And you already know the Model Y is like the best car out there. I mean, we already know that. I mean, yeah. I mean, you had the Model Y right before you, I had the Model Y. Yeah. So how different is it from the, from the three? Cause you had the three too, right? Yeah. I had the three and then Mm -hmm. traded for the Model Y and the Y, you know, it's just a nicer, bigger, higher up seated model three. That's a little bigger Mm -hmm. and, you know, had a little bit newer technology stuff in it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I loved them both. Um, and uh, yeah, Model Y is for the value. Model Y is like amazing for the value, you know. Yeah. But if you want to just kind of explore the technology Tesla has to offer, and you're willing to pay up a little bit for it, you know, uh, maybe sell like ten extra shares of Tesla for it or something, then then like the Model X, the price point of a, a higher Model X, you know, um, is worth it in my opinion. Then you really experience like 
mm. top of the line technology Tesla's offering. And I, there's probably gonna be some really cool new little bells and whistles in the Model X when they finally put it yeah. out there. I don't think has anyone taken delivery yet of the new Model X refresh Model uh, X? I think they have, yeah. Recently. Oh, a few people have, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so for the Model S, having the refresh Model S, have you noticed a lot of the technology like improvements from the older non refresh yeah. ones? Really? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I mean, what? the yoke steering wheel mm -hmm. is obvious and I'm so used to it. I love it way mm -hmm. better than a regular steering wheel, but just the comfort, like the cool, the cooling seats, like, you know, in the original signature model X I had gotten, they had the cooling seats, but didn't work that great. But the cooling seats in the model S work really well, um, in a hot, on a hot day or the heated seats, you know, it just drives really smoothly handles turns really well accelerates just the driving experience is great i mean the touch screen is huge and amazing to use and um the sound system's incredible noise cancellation everything it just is like the ultimate luxury car now no um no complaints yeah oh Nothing. wow are you uh, thinking of getting the x too yeah, we have a Model X right now that leases up uh, actually this month or next month. And okay. so we are we have a reservation for a new Model X. And it'll just be the long-range yeah. uh, Model X. So we're going to get the refresh Model X hopefully uh, in a month or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm excited. Cool. My wife's really excited. She's asking me like, oh, I want like these special wheels or this. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> the order's locked in. If we try to change anything, we're back at the end of the waiting list probably. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it'll be nice. I think she'll like it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to drive it for yeah. sure. Interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. like, man, the price for the X is like, it's gone up a lot. It feels like, um, yeah, we got it in at the, yeah. before it went up too much, we got our order in. Yeah. yeah. But it has gone up. Um, but it, yeah, it's gone up. And, and the, the um the model y you got it in you probably got that order in before the price increases i would think right or before a few of them. um yeah i mean i had to change it because i had just a long range i think before and then so it's like maybe four thousand off the current okay consumer. but yeah you could even take yeah. delivery of that y and just like try it out for a, a few weeks and probably yeah, sell it true. for more money than you bought it for even i bet right i mean uh, just, yeah it's a hassle it is a hassle it is yeah a hassle. yeah yeah um yeah. interesting yeah i would imagine like uh, the Cybertruck would be the car to get eventually oh, you know, yeah. to learn, you know, more about Tesla because that they're yeah, gonna try everything crazy new under the sun. Right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that splish splash like tweet that Elon? Do you think the Cybertruck's gonna be like a boat or submarine too or something? <laughs> like, I feel like there's something there when he said the splish splash. I don't know. He's talked about it before. I feel like there's gonna be something special with the water with the Cybertruck. I don't know. What do you what are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's not a submarine. <laughs> He's talking yeah, about the James good. Bond submarine. He's like wanted to build one, or, or yeah. rumor has it that he has like a working submarine that he built or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be crazy. Um, I'm just thinking four uh, quad motor. That thing must be going. That must that thing must go so fast. You know, once yeah. they they release that. It's going to be yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, and the whistle. Do you think there's anything cool to this cyber whistle? Do you think it's going to – you think it's just a regular uh, whistle or do you think there's something weird about it, like something unique about it that, other than it just being a whistle? Yeah, it could activate something. I never thought about that. What are your, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm wondering if it does something like that, like yeah. some high-pitched noise that somehow it does something to your Cybertruck to come get you or something. I don't know. But then <laughs> who do you know, what, how do you know if it's someone else's Cybertruck that hears it and comes to get That's you know, true. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they all have different pitches and you tune your pitch to the, your Cybertruck or something. Yeah. I don't know. Did you ever watch uh, Knight Rider? Or, yeah, I Yeah, love back that in the day, like yeah. you had the, the headlights, you know, back and forth. Like they could yeah. do something like that. You blow the whistle and then the headlights turn on. It's like 
like red or something go back and forth like the yeah. cars waking up or something you know that um, could be cool something yeah. like that yeah um all right moving on here so um a couple other uh, names i'm curious to hear your thoughts have you guys uh um looked into zoom as a kind of position yeah and a while back we looked into it and uh we liked the company um we, we thought uh, there was a chance it could be added to the S&P 500 at one point. We had like a short-term options play that didn't go well. It, it, at first, it was up like 5 or 10x, and we held on to it, and it mm-hmm. became worthless, unfortunately. But uh, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't that big a big part of our portfolio. It was just a small kind of bet. Um, and uh, so we've looked into the company significantly. We like the, the product, the company. The, the, the thing is, uh, it's come down a lot, obviously. Um, and it was valued like a high growth stock. And now it's kind of like almost coming down to become a value stock soon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's doing really well. Yeah. But but the problem I see with Zoom is there's uncertainty with the competition, you know, like um, Microsoft Teams, you know, like yeah. they're already ingrained in enterprise, you know, uh, businesses. And, you know, a lot of the on the ground research I've done with friends or, you know, other people and jobs, you know, they end up using teams more than zoom. Like maybe in the beginning they use zoom, but teams quickly caught up and it's like mm-hmm. taking over share. And now there's no reason to use zoom or whatever. Yeah. I think personally people might still use zoom and there's a place for zoom, but, um, you know, I'm not sure it's like going to take over the video conferencing, uh, market, like the stock was priced for it to do, you know, not too long ago. So, you know, Webex is, trying to get it back together. You know, there's just competition in that space. It's almost becoming a commodity, the video conferencing stuff. And, you know, maybe, maybe there's something, we haven't studied it close enough to like, feel like we have any kind of information advantage. That's for sure. So we could be really wrong. Yeah. We just don't know it enough to like take a long position and feel strongly about it. What do you think? Have you looked at Zoom much or? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's something I've, I've been looking into more um, past few mm-hmm. weeks. Um, um, picked up a tiny position, but yeah, it's intriguing. I, I totally get what you're saying because like teams by Microsoft is, is huge growing video conferencing seems like, yeah, commoditized. Um, so what is the big vision behind, you know, zoom to fuel the next decade or, or more? And, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, arc has this idea that they, they're trying to be the kind of communication platform for business, but then. Yeah, I mean, some people say like, hey, with Teams, you know, people don't need the separate, you know, Zoom solution, et cetera. But yeah. part of me thinks that the market is so big that they're going to, it's, there's, there's more than enough space for, yeah. you know, Teams and Zoom and others. Um, but yeah, I think the stock's at 183. But when I look at the numbers, the valuation starts to actually make decent sense yeah it's like it started oh, to feel like wow. a value play like, yeah wow, it's like a good value play yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. it only goes so uh, low right it can't go much it can't go below a certain like pe where you're like that's insane yeah exactly exactly i mean uh yeah so interesting um if you char- do some charting from like pre-covid levels some of these high flyers are, are coming back to kind of the trend line which is insane yeah. you, you know it's like you, you'd think that covid changed you know their trajectory completely but it's like coming back you know yeah um yeah fascinating stuff um lemonade earlier you said that you know you guys um have strong conviction yeah um i'm kind of wavering a lot um I actually reduced my position recently by like 25 percent. i might do another 25 percent um mm. But my big kind of thing I'm having a hard time grasping with Lemonade is 
like on one side, I understand the long-term potentials and it's in a huge, huge market. Yeah. They've got some decent values, some competent management. I love the, I love the management, you know, like they're smart guys that you know what they're doing. Um, they seem to really empathize with the customer and try to deliver the best product. But on the flip side, my, my concern is the marketing spend and also the mm -hmm. churn rate. Mm -hmm. And like, they don't really publicize uh, like how many people are, are, are leaving. But when I look, work out the numbers, it, it's, yeah, it, it is a lot that they're spending. It's, it's, I, and I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the core of the part of the core. One of the big things of the lemonade business model is it's so dependent on marketing cost of acquisition for each customer and you have mm -hmm. to you have to factor in the people leaving as well and when i take a step back personally i want to be heavily invested in a company that doesn't really need marketing spend to grow you know mm -hmm. but they use marketing spend to accelerate their growth that's fine but mm -hmm. with with even without much marketing they have such a strong product that that they're able to grow on the product yeah. itself. But with Lemonade, I feel like you cut their marketing to zero, then it's gone. Like they don't- I think that's the tricky thing about insurance yeah. though. Insurance is just not sexy. Like no one really yeah. is like talking about insurance really, you know, with their friends or family. Like I got this great insurance provide, you know, no one's like a Tesla, I got the cool car, you know, you don't need to, it's yeah. like you're driving it around. It's a physical thing. Insurance, I feel like there's no other way they have to do some kind of marketing spend. I, but I agree, it's a concern. Um, now the churning, you know, I've heard them lose customers perhaps because they didn't have auto insurance, for example. So maybe they had customers they were using them for renters or homeowners, like new college grads, and they're like, "Who do we use for auto insurance? We want to use it." And they're like, "Oh, we don't have auto. Go to Allstate." And then Allstate or USAA, and the USAA says, "Hey, we'll give you an all-in package for your renters and your auto insurance," and mm -hmm. they end up leaving Lemonade. So one potential argument is maybe now that they have auto insurance, which is like the biggest piece of the pie, they won't have hardly or they'll have a lot less potential people leaving um but i don't i haven't you know wh wh where have you looked at those numbers or have you backed out of those numbers you said you kind of kind of you know, figured yeah. somehow looked at the numbers what are your what are your number have you how did you figure that out yeah i mean um it's a combination like i when i interviewed the cfo he was mm -hmm. saying like how um how they can pretty much like get back um for when they when they spend money on to acquire a customer, it takes them like, I think around two years or, or a little more to, or to get back that money. Um, but when I worked out the numbers more recently, um, it just seems like, you know, the marketing spend is, it, it didn't, I, I realized I, I didn't factor in like the number of customers that were leaving because mm. the marketing system was a lot higher than I was like, than I could, that I, I that made sense. But mm. when I added in a certain number of people who are, who are leaving, then the numbers, I'm like, oh, that's why the marketing spend is so much. Cause, mm. um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of this nuanced thing. And um, yeah, I don't, I mean, for anyone invested in it, I would definitely, you know, say like do a deep dive just on the numbers because yeah, it's, it's, it's subjective in a lot of ways, I think. Um, yeah. But I'll yeah, look into and, that deeper. Yeah. I want to look into yeah. that a little deeper. Maybe I can uh, figure out from you the, the, you know, what metrics specifically you're looking at later. Uh, we can chat about it. Yeah. Yeah. Email or yeah. Something. Get, get, 
get Matt on it too. Like just, there's a section in my interview with the CFO about um, marketing and metrics and spend, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. compare that to, you know, the spend. I think the other thing our, our challenge with Lemonade is differentiation of product. So mm-hmm. the, one of the problems with Solar City back in the day was the product wasn't like that different, you mm-hmm. know? Like, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. It didn't have that... Um, advantage over its competitors and so Mm. when i look at lemonade like sure it has like you know easier user experience quicker sign up but the actual ownership of the insurance which of course i guess claims might be easier but i don't know it just it's not revolutionary in the sense where it's so differentiated that people are Mm -hmm. like oh my gosh like this is the holy grail, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, of insurance. yeah. I mean, I think it's very hard for any insurance company to, do, yeah. to put that together, though. You know, it's just a business that's hard to wow people in in that way. But I, mm-hmm. I know what you're saying, like, you know, um, you know, it's not like a new technology device or a new exactly. technology that's been introduced. It's, but but the, the way, I guess, from a big picture point of view, look at Lemonade is sort of like a binary outcome, similar to what we used to think of Tesla and mm-hmm. You know, either it's going to succeed and auto insurance is the big, you know, biggest piece of the pie, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. uh, that acquisition of Metro Mile, I think, was very yeah. timely for them and helps potentially catalyze that, accelerate it. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's a binary outcome. Either they're going to succeed and become like, you know, a 10x or they're going to fail and dwindle to zero eventually, you know, be acquired or bank, go bankrupt for pennies, you know, acquired for pennies on the dollar, go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like you just have to kind of analyze it like you're saying and kind of put your own probability weightings on those kind of two outcomes in a way. And they might take five years to play out, you know, um, but sort of like that's how it was with Tesla in 2000, you know, 11 to 2018 almost you know like that whole time it was like you had to view it as a binary outcome it's either going to succeed wildly or it's going to go bankrupt right and uh it's risky um and you know they have enough cash on hand to survive you know for a a while um if they're not making more money so i think the next three quarters like i think they're going to complete their metro mile acquisition within like six months they they did a couple of the um Daniel Shriver, the uh, CEO, did a couple interviews in the last week or two. One with this guy, Paper Bag Investor, and one with Motley Fool, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot of information on there too. But the one thing I found interesting, the stat he gave out was talking about, and this is obviously you're talking to the guy who's it's his own company. He's only going to mm-hmm. talk like, you know, he's not going to say anything bad. So, um, so it's good to look at the bear case and the, mm-hmm. the stuff you're talking about for sure. But their value, they, the market is currently valuing lemonade at like a book to value ratio when you back out the reinsurance. Um, and that's like, I think it's probably like six to one now or five or six to one, you know, probably was seven or eight to one when the interview was done like a week ago. But now the growth stocks have been hit, including lemonade. It's probably like five or six to one. But all the other legacy insurance companies are valued at like a between a one and two to one book to value rate. So lemonade you know, if it got cut in half again in its price, it's like valued on the same metric as the legacy insurance providers at that point, based on basically just its its renters, um, homeowners and pet insurance and, you know, a tiny bit of life insurance, right? The auto insurance hasn't even really started yet, you know, and they're growing all those other insurances. All the legacy providers are growing or staying stable. They're hardly growing at all. They're really just kind of sta- stabilized, you know? And so for something that's growing, 
you would think the ratio should be much higher than the standard like one one or two to one ratio. So um, to me, it felt like a good metric to kind of measure it by relative to the legacy insurance providers. I think the auto insurance is the key. Um, you know, we'll see uh, how that goes. And I think Lemonade, what's special about it with the auto insurance especially is the um, the uh, telemetrics they're going to be using. Um, and what they can do with that is they can figure out who the more uh, safe drivers are in a more realistic way other than like, you know, the old – hundred years ago way of picking out who's single, what their age is, what color car they're driving. They can actually use like tell, you know, telemetrics from their phone and say, Hey, you're significantly safer without much higher degree of confidence and give them a better price. And those people will come to lemonade versus all state or progressive. And the bad drivers are going to say, Hey, you're going to have to pay a higher premium with us. And those bad drivers will go to all state and progressive. So I feel like that's sort of maybe the, some of the secret sauce in their auto insurance uh, formula not just the user experience, which I think is going to be way better, um, but the way they can price um, the actual policy uh, holders mm-hmm. yeah, over definitely. time. Definitely. Um, hey, I want to ask you about Roblox. So um, yeah. I know Roblox is a big position of yours. Um, yeah. So uh, recently they had uh, their investor day. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was um, for those who haven't watched it, it's, a, it's quite a demonstration of... <laughs> Um, I don't know how to explain it, but they, they try to fully explain, you know, um, what their company is about and they get a lot of their management and team leads to, to, to do presentations, et cetera. And, um, like I wanted to, to discuss this a bit because like, I understand the potential of Roblox and, um, what they're doing. And I really like their unique angle of safety as kind of the cornerstone Mm-hmm. I think it's really, um, it's like a key insight from the founders that I think really is the right thing to do. Um, yeah. And they're just going to get better as technology, as the fidelity of the experience gets better with technology, right? Um, and that makes it more immersive, more compelling. Um, the The thing is, when I was watching this this investor day, at, at some point, it just became so dry, where it was just like... Um, I'm like, why are you guys even doing this? Like, what's the point? You know, it's just yeah. like, like, oh, we want to make the avatar look, you know, like extra clothing and blended, all this extra stuff. And yeah. it's like kind of, uh, okay, like what's the why? You know, what? like the bigger picture is just, I don't know. Do you, do you ever feel like that with, 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 with Roblox? It's kind of like, fine, you've got a good product. You've got stickiness. You've got potential. You've got revenue and all this stuff. But like... I don't know, what's the point? Are you, is it really, are you, do you really, are you really convinced that you're making the world a better place? Like, yeah. you, is it essential that, that, you know? I don't know, what, what are your thoughts with, with that? Like, <laughs> like when I compare it with Tesla, with Tesla, it's like, hey, the world is like in a crisis, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's like in yeah. a cri- climate crisis, we yeah. need to do something you know, yeah. to save the world. It's like, it's so straightforward, the why. With Roblox, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, okay. Well, also Tesla, know. what attracted me to Tesla was like, oh, the technology is cool. Like, I, yeah, when I mm-hmm. first bought the Tesla for buying it for a green, greener world was not the main reason I bought a Tesla. The main reason was the technology was super cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And so people that are interested in like, you know, this 
coming like metaverse or whatever you want to call it, like, the, you know, this new technology of like being in virtual worlds and immersed, immersed with, you know, your friends online, you know, our kids are growing, a lot of our kids are growing up in this type of new culture. Um, it's fascinating, you know, to me, I found it fascinating. Uh, the avatar differences, you know, they use, they're using neural networks to look at your face or the way your voice to recognize how you're talking to make the adjustments to your face even if the camera can't get a good read on your face to have your your avatar, you know, kind of show expressions that your face is showing with those inflections in your voice, you know, so that that to me was interesting. You know, some people might not find it interesting, but I like I think the I think there's a lot of people that are very curious and, and interested in how we as individuals are going to be able to be projected into the virtual world in social spaces. You know, it's like a new world we're entering for a lot of people that are very open to it and want to be a part of it, you know, a whole generation of people. But I also think a lot of it is speaking to the developers. I mean, the developers of Roblox, um, they have a different developers conference, um, but the investor day, I think, um, you know, they have, they want to show off to all, everyone who is interested in Roblox as a developer um, or funding developers for Roblox. I mean, there's venture capital firms out there funding teams of Roblox developers now to build Roblox experiences. There's um, developers for different brands. Nike and the NFL just signed up a package for Roblox. You know, there's developers that work at the NFL now that are Roblox developers, you know, like, so the NFL might have hired new Roblox developers recently after looking at that or something and saying, hey, we need Roblox developers on hand to develop our experience on Roblox now. So it's becoming, um, you know, a really good pure play on the metaverse. I mean, the metaverse is so many things, and but it's also not so many things. But we, so I hate using that word, to be honest, but it's a big play on the future of the Internet and how the Internet is going to be used. Um, I think it's going to be, a, a you know, the way that people interact with the Roblox platform, how social it is, you know, how encompassing it is. It's like a, you know, they, one blogger who I really think understands it well called it a company town on his blog. And maybe I'll send it to you and you can put it in the show notes later because it's really fascinating, his blog. But it's like it's basically a blog about like, so you want to compete with Roblox. And it's like explaining how it's like impossible to compete with Roblox at this point. You, you better just join them or something, you know, or, mm. you know, there's a lot of places like Steam or Sandbox trying to do it. And there's they're likely to fail for this and that reason. But Roblox has gotten so big so fast and it has that self-fulfilling flywheel loop going on. It just seems unstoppable at this point. And uh, it's just going to grow magnanimously with the technology uh, for this type of experience. I, I just don't see it any, any other way about it for Roblox. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, I actually ag agree with, you know, the potential of Roblox. It just, um, the investor day reminded me more of like Facebook than Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave Zucchi, he is like a old, uh, older, wiser, I would say an older, mm. but also much wiser Mark Zuckerberg or something, you know, like, <laughs> he's been out a long time, uh, yeah. much wiser. He's not going to do dumb things. He's got a vision. Um, and I don't know, he, he's, he, the more I listen to him, the more he grows on me and I like him, you know, uh, you know, and in the beginning, when I first started looking at Roblox, that was one thing that, that was a concern to me is that the top management folks at Roblox were all like 50 and over, you know, and they were like, what, how, how are these people going to steer the future? They're all so yeah. old, you know, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I think he understands what he's doing and, and has a good vision outlaid for the company. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, we talked about Rocket Labs. We probably don't have that much time on this show, but um, yeah, I actually watched some interviews. Um, oh, good. Yeah, Peter from, Beck. From, yeah, okay. Peter Beck, the founder. Did you see the Neutron presentation yet? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and actually, yeah, I, 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 I have to admit they've they've got some interesting stuff going. Yeah, and they I'm do. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I mean, sorry. I think they have great technology in yeah. space. I mean, I think there's a big case for them to be, have, be a play in the space industry going forward. Not, I don't think they're ever going to be as big as SpaceX. I doubt it. Yeah. I highly doubt that. But it doesn't mean they can't be much, very successful still in their own yeah. right. Yeah, I think they have a space in the in more of the small to medium satellites just because SpaceX is going all in with you know their Starship and they can deliver a ton of you know mass to yeah. orbit. But it's going to be hard to coordinate you know, all these like different parties to fill Starship yeah. with all these different satellites. It's easier, you know, if, and if they can get their neutron or whatever, you know, rocket working and reusable at a cheap price, then yeah, they'll, they'll have a, a spot, you know, in rocket yeah. delivery. And I mean, the big question is like, what's next beyond that? Can yeah. they leverage the space kind of services and the space applications with exactly. constellation satellites? Yeah. And, can they do something yeah. that's beyond just rocket launch, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the big question, so. but it seems like they have a lot of vision, a lot of competency. Um, yeah, interesting play. Um, so you like Peter Beck, though? You listen to a few of his interviews? Yeah, he, yeah, I like him. I, he, he's yeah. got this interesting combination of being, you know, a very hardcore rocket nerd, um, yeah. but, you know, s somewhat sensible with with planning and execution. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he probably hates being called it, but I think of him as like a mini Elon Musk. I'm sure if, <laughs> if anyone mentioned that to him, he'd probably hate it. But I think of uh, him as like a mini or a baby Elon Musk in a lot of ways when it comes to the rocket <laughs> stuff, you know, like, yeah. Sure. He's a younger brother. Yeah. <laughs> Something. If someone referred to him um, like that. People probably do, but yeah, yeah. he probably wants to be um, his own guy, you know? Yeah. And another uh, company I'm interested in following, I, 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 I increased my position a bit, but is Twitter. Um, with mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey's um, stepping down, yeah, stepping down. I just feel like Twitter is one of these things that it can go either way. Obviously, depending yeah. on how the CEO, the new CEO, you know, orchestrates it. But it feels like uh, Jack Dorsey is, you know, he, he's very long vision. You know, like, yeah, kind of. Uh, he has a strong moral compass, very principled. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that, in a way, helped Twitter a lot in different ways, but also was a challenge or hurt Twitter in terms of monetization and other yes. ways, right? It helped them set a foundation they have now, but now it's time to turn on some monetization. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you you could argue that, you know, someone could do stuff that will, you know, kill the soul of Twitter, which is very possible too. But yeah. um, I think the chances are the CEO could do a decent job in, in ramping up true monetization, really improving the financials and making Twitter into something, you know, like a, a real strong, you know, uh, business. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I think it's going to take time to play out. Um, yeah. it's not going to happen. But there's certainly an opportunity quarters, for something to change drastically yeah. in the right direction in terms of profitability, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like how come you can't get like a Twitter subscribe? I'd pay like 20 or 30 bucks a month just to not see advertisements on my Twitter feed. I mean, can't, I, I don't know why we don't have that yet. Hopefully this, hopefully that'll be an option at some point, you know, just to pay some amount to never see advertisements for example. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I wish they did, did did more with messaging. Like, you actually, did, I mean, their messaging client is just terrible right now. I mean, yeah. I think you could actually be like a big player in the messaging. Do so field. much on Twitter. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of opportunity. It's a huge value for people that use it regularly, and 
Yeah. They just need to extract that value monetarily. Yeah, definitely. All right, Emmett, uh, been fun talking with you. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting end of the year next year. Uh, yeah. Lots of stuff going on. And, yeah, um, be fun. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully uh, the rest of this month, you know, things don't keep falling. You know, I think the futures, I looked at it recently before we went on, they're, they're a little above flat. They're a little above flat, so they're not like down two percent overnight going into tomorrow again. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, a lot of uh, uncertainty in, in where which way macro the macro economy is going. But hopefully, it was just one of those fake outs where uh, we're back off to the races in another day or two of uh, volatility. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little doubtful of that, but we'll see. Yeah, that's what the market uh, I love wants your hope. to be doubtful. The market can't go back up until most people are doubtful. That's, the yeah, yeah. that's what I feel like. It does the thing no one, people don't want, think, expect almost, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. All right, I mean, take care. Have a good week, and um, yeah, definitely All see right. you next time. You too. All, All right. right, bye.